There's one saying I've heard that if your company doesn't have a space strategy, you need one. Many people still, I think, feel, oh, I'll never get to space and it's only like billionaires. But really, these rockets are being built to do point-to-point -point travel around the world as well. If you want to fly from Los Angeles to Singapore with a rocket, you could do it in 30 minutes. Hello and welcome to Polyweb. I'm your host, Sara Landi Tortoli, and my guest today is Ben Haldman, a space entrepreneur and founder of LiveShip, a company whose mission is to send human DNA to the moon to spread life. With Ben, among many things, we talk about how to build highly complex and specialized products, how we will become a multiplanetary species, and what are the biggest opportunities in the space industry. It's all kind of happening. The rockets are being built that'll carry people to the moon and Mars and actually build settlements and cities there. Lots of stuff is going to be built. And all the things that you have here on Earth, whether it's hotels and buildings, restaurants and bars, like all the businesses you need here on Earth will be needed in space. Ben, welcome to Polyweb. Thanks, Sarah. Excited to chat. Excited to be here. All right. So I think a, a good place to start is what shall I know about you and your early years to understand the person that, that you are today and, and your life journey? Yeah. I played with Legos. I was always building things. I was curious about space. I loved to figure out how things worked. Yeah, and I spent a lot of time in nature. And and all this kind of led towards an interest in space and an interest in in building things and and then I was always into big challenges as well. Like I would I would see mountains and be like, "I want to climb that." And and go do it or or want to build something bigger or taller. And yeah, and that went on through through high school and college. And I did marathons in high school. And then I did Ironman triathlons soon after that. And then I did 100-mile runs and climbed really big rocks. And, uh, and it would kind of happen kind of quickly. Like I would go to Yosemite and see the biggest cliff there, El Capitan, and I'd be like, I want to start rock climbing. I'd climb that. And I would do it within a year. And And so, yeah, I was into both figuring out how to make things work and how to, how to do the planning and the strategy and the engineering and the, the physical parts of, of, of how you get through something and make something work, as well as big vision moonshots. And this ended up taking me to working on big things in space and sending lots of things to space and then now building the company I'm building, which is a big moonshot. I'm also a very sportive person, always have been. Uh, I'm curious to know, what's the relationship uh, between uh, sports uh, and especially like very competitive sport like Ironman? You mentioned, you know, you were doing Ironman, you were running. So what's the relationship between sports and how that helped you in your, in your journey, uh, creating your own company? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's there's two parts of that I'll touch on. One is I, I got into endurance sports. So Ironman triathlons, 100-mile ultramarathon runs. I was a professional cyclist and did multi-day cycling races. Uh, and, and with those, there's a path of both this goal of, oh, I'm training for this race, and it is the big, but then there's also learning to enjoy the process of training for it. And And, and that be part of it. And, and it's like working towards something big, but also enjoying that in the moment and, and using those long-term goals to, to, I don't know, stay aligned and, and keep excited about it. And that's one part. But then I think another big thing I learned, especially with rock climbing, is, is risk tolerance and, and being able to stay calm and collected and keep moving forward, even even when in a really dangerous, hard situation and making all the right decisions. And, and, and I think part of it is then training 
that we can walk a lot closer to the edge of the cliff than than you might initially think. And a lot of that is then related to starting a company or being an entrepreneur or or even or even doing stuff in space because the old way of doing stuff in space was to plan for 20 years to build a satellite and and analyze every every single possible result and spend billions of dollars and take decades to do it and the newer way of doing space is to be agile and take a fast pace approach and take risks and and risks don't mean make dumb decisions risks mean like becoming more attuned yeah to that gut instinct of whether each of the million things that need to go right to to make it work like whether each of them are right or not and rather than going analyzing every single one until it's it's more attunement to okay i can do this i can take this step i can i can start this company i can i can follow this dream and keeping taking taking those steps and having a new relationship with fear and i think yeah rock climbing but also bike racing and all that really attuned my relationship to to where I'm comfortable and what I can do. Was it something that came naturally to you? Like you just, you know, did it? Or did you have to work on it? It all was a process. I learned how to become more comfortable. I learned how to then do harder things. I learned how to be more comfortable doing multi-day hard things and sleeping on the edges of cliffs and it it just became yeah a an attuning and a practice and a more natural state of uh of, of living in that way so alongside being an athlete you also studied uh mechanical engineering and maybe maybe for listeners and also for me can you describe what were your early days in your career like you know, what were you working on? Yeah. Because like I did some research and it sounds super exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So mechanical engineering is like the physical things, like how, how like the the metal parts, the plastic parts, the, the mirrors, the bearings, the, yeah, all the, all the pieces and how it comes together. And I, I studied that in my undergrad at Penn State University. And then I went to grad school at Berkeley, partly because it was a really good bike racing team, but it, it was one of the top mechanical engineering schools. And I started working in a lab with a professor, a chemistry professor, and I designed this, this benchtop instrument to detect amino acids in soil samples on Mars. And it was an early prototype instrument with NASA and the and JPL the Jet Propulsion Laboratory which builds a lot of instruments for space to look for amino acids which are a sign of life and one of these now launched on a later rover mission a later version of this and that and it has detected signs of amino acids in the soil there so it means there likely was some type of some type of microbial life at some point if if not more on on Mars and yeah, so that instrument had lasers in it and mirrors and optics and circuit boards and and software and I wrote the software for it. And so kind of a complete and, and little fluidic channels and tiny little pumps to pump liquid around. And yeah, that was the designing of a complete instrument and my first real space project. And that, that got me into space. And then I I went on left my PhD after after I finished my master's and did a little of my PhD because I got a job offer to go build big telescopes. And so these are big optical telescopes with mirrors on mountaintops around the world. And I spent eight years doing that and designing these telescopes. And those have been used to find all sorts of new planets outside of our solar system. And 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 to also look at the 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 spectroscopy of them, which you can t- then tell, is there water on this planet, or are there is there carbon dioxide? Is there what what uh, what is the atmosphere like? And so we've been able to find planets that are potentially Earth-like, or could potentially either have life or 
have had life before or one day we could bring life to. And so that got me more and more into space and, and on that path. And then I uh, moved up to San Francisco and started work with a company, Planet Labs. And I was about the 20th person to join Planet. And we built small satellites to image the whole world every day. And I designed the whole camera system for these satellites. And we put over 300 satellites in space. It was the most satellites anyone had ever put in space. These were used to image the whole world every day. And I, I was there for five years and the company grew pretty big. And, and I went on to coordinate with the rockets and getting satellites to space and negotiating rocket contracts and working on new, new types of space missions and really got me both a business side of it and a product side because we also had artificial intelligence and machine learning to look at the imagery and start to categorize things and make it so you can calculate where every tree disappeared in the last 24 hours or ships that were doing illegal fishing and really, yeah, really using space to help care for earth. And, and, and yeah, that really also rounded me out in that direction as far as I was kind of nerdy space and I initially was like, oh, I want to just want to be part of space missions and stuff going to space. And I've always spent a lot of time in nature and I'm very, very in love with the earth. But with planet, there really was this, okay, we're using space to help earth. And it's it's about the earth and it's how we care for the earth. And yeah, and I've definitely really carried that through in the company I'm building now. Can I ask you a very stupid, stupid question, maybe? Of course. Maybe, like, but what is life? Like, when you say, you know, we're looking for, for life, uh, you know, uh, in, the, uh, in the solar system and outside, uh, what exactly are you looking for? Because, like, life for life, uh, you know, well, uh, okay. first, first thing that I, comes to mind is, uh, you know, human life. Right, so some form of intelligent, uh, con uh, cognizant, you know, type of being. That's the first thing. Then you know, okay, maybe let's simplify. Maybe like it's uh, macro, macro, macro bio. Yeah. How do you say that? My microbes, micro microbial. Yeah, micro. Yeah, microbial. You know, so th that's what comes to my mind. But maybe that's completely not what I should think about. So what is uh, life? There's definitely a lot of people who've defined it in different ways. And it, I, I'm not sure what an exact definition for it is, but it, I think most would agree it's something that reproduces. It's something that uses energy from its environment and takes that energy in and, and grows or, or utilizes the energy. Yeah, something that rearranges molecules and 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 util, uh, utilizes material and energy but but definitely then there are different levels of consciousness and what is conscious life and what what intelligent life is and there's lots of attempted definitions at that at that as well yeah i guess so and uh maybe are there any helpful concepts uh, that me or listeners uh, should know before about space uh, and also about like uh, common misconception, you know, that we should know before we move farther in this conversation to better understand what you're doing now? Yes. So... I guess a couple of pieces which build into what I'm actually doing. One is there's a hypothesis called the Gaia hypothesis. And that that is that the whole earth is living and the, the earth is an, is an entity. And as part of that, what's come to me is that the earth, the earth is intelligent. The earth has grown all these different species. The earth has grown us. We've come out of the earth. And that the earth also wants to reproduce and the, the earth wants to spread more life and the universe wants more life. And, and there is the concept that this is one way that life spreads throughout the galaxy is that either spores or some type of seeds get 
or some type of bacteria comes off of planets, either when a, an asteroid strikes into them, it could, it could knock spores off, or it does seem like there are spores that can float up high enough in the atmosphere and maybe even leave. And so there are natural ways that that planets can get life into space and that these and the, and there's many people that believe that deep space which is the vacuum of space is actually has all these spores and like seeds floating through it and these these may be tiny and they may be on asteroids that float by and we know that there are interstellar are they call it asteroids they're interstellar rocks that float that that have come from other star systems and float through the solar system and and so that that was shown recently that there was a rock that that is on a trajectory that can't be in orbit around our sun and it shot through our solar system and so there are yeah there's materials that go from star to star there's 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 spores and seeds that are in in out in space but then also from my journeys and I've I've been on a deep journey of yoga and meditation and spending time in the rainforests and connecting to indigenous ways and it's come to me that humans are part of nature and that we're we're part of what nature is doing and that and that nature nature and the earth wants to reproduce and spread life and that's part of what she's doing through us and and so we're here partly to continue the cycle of life in the universe and and yeah, it might seem like we're destroying the earth and using all the resources and building building these high tech rockets and filling them with rocket fuel. And but uh, I'm increasingly seeing that as kind of like a natural process. It's like it's like we're the cells of the earth and we're doing we're doing what the earth is doing. And um, and that in the grand story of the universe, planets either get filled with life and then one day burn out when their sun gets too hot or their sun burns out or the planet goes on to to reproduce and spread life and and yeah that either could be with intelligent beings like humans going out to new planets and actually planting new worlds and 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 populating them or it could be by sending seeds outwards and i feel like in the grand history of the universe uh, you know, back all the way to the Big Bang, there's there's a few big moments on that timeline. And one is when like planets formed. One is when one is when life emerges on on a planet. And you know, it might be all over the place or it might just be here on Earth. We we don't know for sure. I, I do think the universe has a lot of life in it. But but when life emerges, that's a that's a like a monumental point on the timeline of the universe and then when when life becomes conscious and understands itself and and understands what the universe is that's another point on the timeline and then when the when a planet goes on to reproduce and spread life beyond that initial planet and starts to ripple life across the galaxy or or to new places that that's like another point so and it feels like we're right at that point in the the story of the universe is when a species is intelligent and conscious enough to know itself and is at the point of being able to to become multiplanetary and and even even think about being multistellar and send life to other star systems and and so it's it's pretty it's a pretty epic time that we're living in both both as far as the challenges and what we're dealing with here on earth but I'm I'm an optimist and I I think humanity is an incredible species and I think we're we're a species to make it to the stars and we're a species to ripple life out across the galaxy and that one day they'll talk about the humans that overcame and now there's a million new worlds of life out there from from what we did. Just hearing you talk right now, like, uh, you know, it reminds me of all the sci-fi books <laughs> I ever read, you know, about human living, living in different galaxies. Uh, um, and perhaps this ties in uh, in life ship uh, and, and its mission, right? But how do we become uh, a multiplanetary species? It's all kind of happening. The rockets are being built that'll carry people to 
the moon and Mars and actually build settlements and cities there. There are companies building the habitats to live in. There's companies building the little rovers to go collect ice and turn it into water and collect materials and print it into buildings and mine asteroids for metal and grow food on on the moon and on Mars. And so there's a lot of efforts there towards humanity living on multi-planets. I believe that's a very important endeavor because all our eggs are in one basket. And many of the people that I know they're into space settlement are like totally all about Earth and and the biggest like fans of Earth because the the more you look further out, the more you see that okay, there's it's rare we're going to find anything as as incredible as Earth like ever. And so I believe that we can protect Earth, we can preserve Earth, and it's very important to have our eggs in multiple baskets and to be multiplanetary and to have life in other places. And so one piece of that is humanity and having humanity on multiple rocks floating through space that are independent and self-sustaining. And if if something happened to one of them, the other could survive. And so that's a, a core moment in redundancy is when you when you have life on multiple places. And so that's humanity. But I also feel that we have a a bit of an obligation to continue life in the universe. And and that may also be by sending seeds out that that start new worlds and start start new life. And and then I also see we have an obligation to preserve the all the species we have today for seven generations from now. So we we know we're losing I think we lose a hundred to two hundred species every day they go extinct and disappear without trace. And I think we've, we've sequenced or we've, we've, we've named and identified one and a half million species on earth, but we think there's about 8 million species here on earth. And, and so it seems, it seems wise. And it seems like we have an obligation to save a, a, a backup of all those species. And the simplest way we could do that is by, saving the DNA. And the DNA is not everything, but there are projects going on. There's a project going on to bring back the woolly mammoth based on DNA from that was found, tens of thousands year old DNA from woolly mammoths. So there, there are actual real projects that are think they're only a handful of years away from being able to do something like that. And so since that technology is exists and is is well underway, it seems like it makes sense to save backups of all of Earth. And you never want to save your backups all in one place. And so we have seed banks here on Earth with seeds of all different plants that are meant to last for thousands of years and save a copy of them. But we don't have an off-world copy of Earth and a copy that's in space. And so that's part of the big vision of LifeShip is both we're saving a backup of all the different species of Earth and humanity and space, but it's also towards building seeds that we can send to new worlds. And then someday when humans go off on spaceships to 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 go to one of these planets found down around another star system that we think we can live on, only a few humans will go on one of those ships. They'll probably be put in like a hibernation state for a hundred year journey or whatever, but they'll bring with them either either like embryos or seeds or DNA to grow a new world when we get there and, and to populate a new world. And that concept exists in many sci-fi movies and books. And, and yeah, so that, that all is the concept of life ship is that we're let's back up earth and save it in space for future generations. And let's take steps towards those, those seeds and those banks that we can take to new worlds and grow new worlds someday. How did the idea of LifeShip uh, came about? What made you so passionate uh, about this mission? Uh, like phrased differently, why do you believe that as a species, uh, humans deserve to, you know, uh, live in other planets as well, considering uh, what we're currently doing to this one? You know, maybe like if we treated this planet more gently collectively, you know, there wouldn't be a need uh, 
or or so urgent a need to you know explore uh, others yeah so the vision for life ship came when i was actually down in the rainforest in central america and i i went deep in the forest by myself and i found this this grandmother tree that had all this life coming off of it, probably, I don't know, thousands of species, like all these mushrooms growing off it, all these ferns, all these vines. And I meditated under this tree. And in this meditation, I I got like the, the, the visual and the transmission and the story of, I saw life evolving on earth in the ocean and then coming out on land. And then I saw it learning how to fly and go up in the air and 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 just like filling out and fully blooming in all these different ecosystems of of just like filling out with with all the life it could figure out how to figure out and then and then the earth wanted to reproduce and so it grew humans and it gave us all the food we needed and gave us all the the plants and the medicines and all, everything to sustain us and and that really our biggest role is to help the earth reproduce and to spread life. And and so maybe we're doing exactly what we're supposed to as far as using the resources to help do that. And I know we can do better. And I know, I know, I know uh, on the surface, it looks like we're doing a horrible job, but maybe in the grand scheme of things, like we're, we're supposed to be using the resources to, to further life and to continue life. And and yeah, I do believe that caring for Earth and preserving Earth is a core part of that. And I think we can do both. I think we're we're learning how to. We, we may not be be doing it all, but we're learning. We at least know how to care for the Earth better, and we're starting to implement things. And technologies are getting better. And yeah, and then we're learning how to move outwards into space. And and I feel that this may be know our greatest purpose in the universe is to ensure that life continues on so how did you go about uh, from meditating uh, under under this tree and somehow having the vision uh, of what you were supposed to do what you were supposed to achieve so how did you go from that vision to creating uh, your company because it's uh fairly complex uh product uh, i mean it's not exactly the any commerce uh, you know that you just <laughs> just create the website and your life you know uh, totally i i built a lot of stuff in space and i really i really tuned into how to do things in silicon valley the word is agile and agile means to do to make fast decisions, to not to not like make the whole thing perfect and do everything all at once, but to do MVPs, minimum viable product. Like, what is the smallest thing that could demonstrate something and like move move something forward? And it pretty much instantly came. Oh, we can just do a DNA bank. A, a, like a DNA is absolutely tiny. We could just do a tiny DNA capsule in space or a DNA capsule on the moon. And that both is a, is a backup, is a, is, a, is a valuable thing, but then there's also a product we can do there. We can include people's DNA in it. And then also data and information is tiny. And if we're gonna send the DNA up there, let's, let's also include people's stories and a cultural record of humanity and the, the story of, of all of this. So pretty quickly came that okay, this is a DNA seed bank and a record of humanity and a product that we can do is for people to be part of space exploration and for people to preserve a copy of themselves. And maybe maybe for those people, someday it's, it's either the fantasy or the possibility of, of being born on a new world someday. <laughs> There's not really been a, a real consumer space product to be part of space exploration, where you actually watch the rocket launches and are, are part of it and are and know a PCU is on it. And these concepts exist in all sorts of sci-fi that, yeah, a first product of just preserving your, your blueprint of yourself, your DNA, 
and then your photos and story and your legacy in space that that came pretty quickly for people that are listening to the podcast and are not watching the youtube video i'm smiling a lot during this conversation because this gets me really very very excited so just like thinking about it and and when you think about it instead like this uh, record of humanity you know like as you call it the story in the dna what do you think is the impact uh, that this could have uh, you know and what are the next steps so like you mentioned that in your mind this is an mvp um and in my mind you know like building digital products uh, this is like a full-fledged thing it's not an mvp you know but i imagine that if the ultimate goal uh, is becoming a multi multi-planetary species that that is indeed an mvp right uh so like from mvp you know what are the next uh, steps in your opinion that needs to take place totally and i'll start with where we're at because this isn't just an idea we've already sent two different capsules to space uh they flew up on SpaceX rockets uh, in partnership with NASA. And, and these, these rockets had four astronauts on board, each of them. And we sent a capsule up to the International Space Station and it orbited Earth for a long time and, uh, and was the, an off-world backup of Earth. And we sent uh, thousands of people's DNA in it and then over 500 species. And a lot of that was plant species and food species and some some of the some of the core plants from around the world and many of the many of the food crops that we rely on and so we already sent two of those we're on two different rockets to the moon so we're sending two of these to the moon we're working on other missions to deep space and and then on other on other important satellites and other other things that are going to be in space so the big thing is to create a solar system wide backup of earth and eventually have these on Mars, have them on asteroids, have them on other planets, and then, and then also send them out of the solar system and send them uh, eventually to other star systems. And then also have a bank that future humans can take with them when they go, when they go out. And I imagine when humans are living on Mars, they'll have a bank with them there of, of a copy of Earth over there. And, and so the vision is that that's what we're creating is those banks and the seeds to send outwards. Um, and then we made a consumer product and the consumer product, we've sold 3000 of them and, and they're, they're affordable. They're a hundred dollars and people add their DNA and their story to it. And then they tune in and watch the rocket launch as part of a community and watch it land on the moon. The lander has live video feed of it. And then, and then we'll have a way that you can be on all the different missions and, go to all, the, all the different places and collect your Mars badge when you get to Mars and then vote on the different missions we do vote on whether we're saving the elephants next or the giraffes next so it's kind of like a participatory space movement that's powered by a community where and then web3 and decentralized technology is woven in all of this so it it becomes like a space agency for humanity that people are a part of and and have a say in and and so that yeah that's that's all part of the direction and then also it becomes more and more a a backup of you and a copy of you to propagate you to the stars and so that's your dna but then we're also working on ai to to interview you about your life story and who you are and your purpose and your dreams and and what legacy you want to leave behind and your your childhood and and so we'll have a way that you can go as deep as you want to into your story and who you are. And that kind of becomes like training data for your avatar of yourself. And it becomes this digital twin copy of yourself and that that will live on beyond you. And then there's more we want to do with that being a decentralized copy of yourself that you can pass on to your great, great grandkids and pass on to future generations. And so really it is opening the concept of not just the earth and humanity's legacy and life in the universe, but an individual not disappearing without a trace and an individual being part of the branch of life that lives on in the universe. Uh, this is extremely fascinating. And 
I wonder how do you coordinate such a complex uh, product like hold those moving pieces together how do you keep them together and make sure you know that uh, everything is marching uh, in the right direction and in in the right order good question i guess it's all mvps and agile and it's there there is a big vision there but there is also okay we've started with the surveys they ask you questions about your life and who you are and and that builds towards becoming a representation of your consciousness and an upload of who you are. But for now, it's just questions you answer about, about yourself and what you want to be remembered for. And then the space missions are, are a piece of, I, I guess this is my, my background and my strength is holding multiple priorities and being able to see the big picture and know that, okay, I've, one one email I'm working on getting stuff to an asteroid. The next email I'm working on like an AI to interview a person. And next I'm working on whatever, <laughs> paying a bill. I it, it's like yeah, it's 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 uh, holding those multiple priorities, seeing the big vision, and I really feel that everything I've that's that's led me to who I am and where I'm going and where I'm headed and what I'm doing now. There's there's a Steve Jobs quote that you can look backwards and all the dots connect leading to where you are. And you don't know where they're going in the future, but you can kind of have a bit of an idea and trust where they're headed. But you don't know exactly what dots are going to lead to what. And yeah, it feels like I've done a lot of product management and understanding what products are and, and how to, how to, pull them together. I've done program management and and known all the different moving pieces of different projects and how to manage that and and then done all the space stuff and and so it's it's a lot but it also feels like it is in flow and it's happening and it's meant to happen. Do you have any particular framework or thought process that consistently helps you move the needle or making progress in achieving your mission. I do come back to nature a lot. And when there is a when there is a decision, like it sometimes it feels like either the decisions if if it's not like wanting to be made yet, it either feels that it's it's it'll flow and be made at the right time when it when it's meant to. And sometimes I feel like I don't even make the decisions like they just get made all at the right time. But oftentimes a good walk in nature or sitting and just like looking at plants blowing in the wind can often lead to some clarity. And and so I do I do often feel like nature speaks to me. And and sometimes I go and stare at some plants and start asking some questions to an insect that's there and and maybe it like wiggles its antenna in a certain way and like shows me a little spot on his back. And it, it like feels like it's like the universe teaching me something and showing me something. And, and so I do, yeah, I do. I do get a lot of answers from nature that, and some of those, uh, yeah, some of those just feel like too perfect to, to have been interpreted any other way. And, you know, a wiggle of an antenna is not a good example, but like, some, sometimes I feel like nature, nature shows the answers. Okay, then let, let me put it this way. How did you learn to open up uh, to nature like this? You know, was it something that you had to learn? Or is it something that since you mentioned, you know, as a kid, you were, you know, a lot in nature, playing with Lego and stuff? Mm-hmm. Or is it, is it a muscle that you had to build over time? And if so, how did you build it? I've consistently spent a lot of time in nature, but there was a good chunk of my life where more of that was on runs or like climbing and moving fast and achieving and accomplishing and getting somewhere. And, and since starting this company, I've learned to slow down a lot more in nature. And that's also been my path with meditation and yoga and it's to be more present and to listen and to to tune in and so now 
now more of my hikes in nature end up with me like just finding a little field or a gorgeous rock in the middle of a stream to sit on and sit there for a half hour and just like really really slow down and 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 watch and listen and tune in and 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 yeah so there is there is a more of a tuning in that happens now for me and that that leads to clearing decisions out of my mind clearing these mental challenges clearing out emotional stuff and and then also bringing clarity and showing answers and giving ideas. Mm. Interesting. I'm asking you a lot of this question because I'm always curious what's behind uh, uh, the success uh, of, uh, of people. Um, they are building successful business, but most of all, because plenty of people can build uh, successful, plenty, but like, People can build successful businesses, but not everyone can build uh, visionary companies, uh, you know, with such a great mission. And therefore, I'm always fascinated uh, on the what's behind the scene. Uh, what is it that people don't see that drives drive this this kind of people? So that's why I'm asking you all this uh, all this question. I'm very fascinated by it. Yeah, and I think one piece that comes there is, you know, sometimes when starting a company, there's like the idea of like, oh, here's a product I can sell or here's, and with this, it was more like, here is something that feels like is meant to happen in the universe. And, and then it was working back from that of, okay, here are the products and the steps and the way of doing it. And, and yeah, when it feels like something is aligned to a core big, vision need in the story of the universe then then it has an authenticity with it and it feels like okay this is a a natural process and a natural part of what's meant to happen going in in this direction what would you advise other entrepreneurs uh, um, who are looking to to launch a startup uh, in such a highly specialized and technical field, such as, uh, you know, that of space exploration? So space is a unique area where a lot of ideas, if you really want to do them, are very expensive. It requires sending lots of stuff to space and or big things in space or, you know, and have very long timelines and, and cost a lot. Generally, the companies that are, becoming successful and making progress are ones where there either is something that can be done as a product here on earth that then will enable future things in space, or there are lower cost demonstrations that can be done in a, in a fast pace and to show progress. And that, you know, hopefully those demonstrations are, can have revenue associated with them and turn into a business. And, and so yeah, I think breaking things down into finding, okay, what is what are the smallest demonstrations and what are the smallest products that can be created that take steps towards bigger and bigger visions is particularly a challenge in the space industry because there's just such a barrier of entry. And and the barrier has come down because it's, you know, back when I got into space and was working on this 10 years ago. It was still really hard to get on rockets and it was still really expensive to do a lot of things in space. But now, now it's become much, much, much easier and, and more affordable. But there still is a barrier to entry to create a space company. What was your, your main challenge when creating LifeShip? Good question. So the, the first year, I had a lot of ups and downs with it. And I would say my downs were when I got triggered around confidence or imposter syndrome or what the heck am I doing? People, people think this is a, a scam, send your spit to the moon. Like, yeah, what am, what am I doing with my life? Sending people's spit to the moon. And, and, and so there were, there were periods there where it was like, what am I doing? Are people really going to pay for this? Can I really do this? Can I really get on these rockets and get, get these sent to the moon? get these sent to space and are people going to see the bigger vision? And, you know, I've been at this for four years. And so now I, 
you know, it's more clear what the big vision is and what it is. And I knew from the beginning that this was about spreading life, but it was not as clear how this all comes together as far as a product, as far as it being a seed bank backup, as far as it is it being a step towards seeding life. And so over time, the vision, the, the vision is still gaining clarity and I'm still learning about it all, all the time. And I guess one thing that, one piece of advice and one thing that I really learned is that this company and this mission and what, what I'm building for a while, I thought is like, you know, Ben's company or like my company is like, okay, what am I building? What am I doing? Okay. We can do this and we can do. And, and then at, at some point it started to become like, oh, this is an entity and a mission and a thing and a movement that's meant to exist in the universe. And it has its own look and flavor and brand and way of being. And it's not me creating it. It's more me like chiseling away and uncovering what's there. There's something meant to be there on earth and in the universe and in humanity that serves this role. And what does that look and feel like? What does that do? What are its values? What are its purpose? And and it's, yeah, it's not as much me painting that on it. And it's more me discovering the natural inherent qualities of this movement and organization and what it is and what it's meant to be. Yeah. I, I think it's very, very fascinating. Speaking of fascinating, what do you think are the biggest uh, opportunities in the space industry uh, right now? And maybe some of the things that, you know, listeners think, might, might think are, you know, impossible or sci-fi, uh, but that, that instead are, are becoming uh, reality or will be reality. So there, there's one saying I've heard that every company will become a space company. There's another that's like, okay, if your company doesn't have a space strategy, you need one. Um, and, and really, it's, it's essentially that the rockets are being built that are, that are kind of like the airplane moment of when airplanes suddenly opened up new continents and, and travel from point to point in an in entirely new way. And yes, we've had rockets and we've been able to send stuff to space, but the new rockets being built you know, primarily by space, SpaceX, are fully reusable, the biggest rockets ever built. And they're more like airplanes than the traditional rockets as far as they go up and they come back and they land and they refuel and then they go up again and and they can carry tremendous amount of stuff up there. And so it suddenly is like the railroads are opening up the frontier of the West and lots of stuff is going to be built and all the things that you, you have here on earth, whether it's, you know, hotels and buildings and, but also like janitors and trash service and water and, and cleaners and, and like food and restaurants and bar, like all the like mail delivery, like all the businesses you need here on earth will be needed in space. And there will be much less of a barrier of, of oh we're we're just doing this here on earth and there's that those big defense contractors that do the space work and and it's it's more just like okay there's just like there's planes that go between north america and europe and there's 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 ships that take all the stuff back and forth it's just like there's much less of a barrier really space is only 400 kilometers up it's just that the rockets have been so expensive and thrown away every time we use them. It's it's really like it's going to become a lot closer and that there's just going to be very, very regular delivery and easy access. And yeah, many people still, I think, feel, oh, I'll never get to space. And it's only like billionaires. And even I think a lot of people carry that forward you know, 10 years from now or so. But really the these rockets are being built to do point-to-point -point travel around the world as well. And uh, and so if you want to fly from Los Angeles to Singapore, I don't know how long a flight that is, but it's probably like 16 hours or so. And 
with a rocket, you could do it in 30 minutes. And we that didn't make sense before because the rockets couldn't land and, then, and you'd have to throw the whole rocket away. But once you just need to put fuel in, it actually is more fuel efficient to fly up to space where there's no air resistance, rocket around the earth in like in like 30 minutes and then land in another place than it is to to push the airplane through the wind the whole time and and do it for 16, 18 hours. And so really it's going to become a lot more standard for people to just go into space to even go somewhere else on Earth. And and the barriers are just going to become much less of a only astronauts can do that and much more of a okay, I can just book my two-day plane ticket to the moon and go go visit and stay in a place there and stay for a week and come back. Then talking with you is uh, endlessly fascinating. I could talk uh, to you for hours. And uh, I would really love to have you back, uh, you know, at some point in the future to discuss the the development you made with live ships. Is there anything else that listeners could do for you or that you would like to leave as a closing thought? Uh, well, our website is lifeship.com and we're on many, many socials at Lifeship and people can add their DNA, people can add their pet's DNA, people can add their story and photos Uh, we also send send loved ones ashes, and I'm I'm very accessible as well. So if there's if there's anyone that has a has a piece of this that they want to chat about or or ideas or whatever, then then reach out. So we will leave uh, all the information in the show notes and in the description. Ben. I want to thank you so much uh, for for being here and for answering uh, all of my all of my questions. Really, oh, thank you, thanks, Sarah. Yeah, so so good to chat and want to want to touch back in again and um, yeah, excited about your journey as well. And for listeners, uh, see you on the next episode. Bye. That's all from today's episode. Thank you so much for watching or listening. If you find this episode valuable, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel or to the Polyweb podcast on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. It would be fantastic if you could leave us a rating, a review, or a comment, as this really helps other listeners find the show. All the resources mentioned in this episode will be linked in the description and in the show notes. See you on the next episode. And if you cannot wait until next week, you can watch this episode right here that relates to some of the things that we talk about in this episode. Bye.